0: Welcome back to the Snowman Podcast, this is your host, Gorda Van. And today we have a really good show. We are talking with Paul Archer from Tiago Snowmobiles. This is the electric snowmobile division. Um, But uh, two years ago, Hal Armstrong and I had an opportunity to test the uh, electric snowmobile. And uh, we came away very impressed, the technology that they had in the uh, the snowmobile. They've made uh, a lot of uh, improvements, Um, but also since then they've introduced a electric personal watercraft, the Orca. And uh, it's pretty impressive too. So we talk about um, the snowmobile, we talk about the personal watercraft, and we talk about uh, a few other things that they may have uh, in, the, uh, in the wind. So uh, here's Paul Archer. but first here is a message from CKX, maker of the Mission Helmet.
1: Hi, I'm Randy Ferguson, and I want to present to you the all new Mission Snowmobile Helmet by CKX. This helmet is equipped with AMS technology and it redefines the trail riding experience. The mission helmet is the result of three years of R&D, dozens of prototypes, and ultimately three patents. The mission is the first helmet equipped with AMS technology that helps to efficiently remove moist exhaled air, thus significantly reducing the risk of fogging, accumulation of frost, and condensation. The snowmobiler therefore benefits from a drier and cleaner inner space, resulting in unparalleled comfort. The CKX Mission Helmet is available in several graphic designs, in a carbon fiber version and with the electric shield option. To learn more about how the AMS works, go to ckxgear.com. Thank you and happy trails. Okay, welcome
0: back to Snowmobile Podcast. This is your host Gord Van, and uh, my co-host today, again today is Hal Armstrong from Snow Tech Magazine and Time Machine's uh, um, social media pages. And today uh, we're very happy to have uh, Paul Archard from uh, Tega Electric Snowmobile Division, uh, and I guess we can add personal watercraft too um, with us. Um, so, uh, Paul, how you doing?
2: I'm doing great. You?
0: I'm yeah, doing great. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we, tal and I have always been de- discussing. Uh, you know, we got to talk to these guys again and uh, get the get the latest updates on uh, on your sleds. Uh, um, it looks like you, you guys have really been pro- uh, progressing since uh, the last time Hal and I uh, uh, tried the uh, the, uh, the the TS2. Um, how's how's things been development?
2: Uh, it's been going quite <laughs> quite well, I would say. Uh, some would say not not fast enough, but we're we've definitely made some pretty huge leaps. I think you know since we've last uh, talked to you. Um, so we've been you know for the past uh, two years, we've really been focused and on uh you know finalizing our production spec uh, snowmobile design and bringing that to market.
0: Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, so well, let's start with uh, some questions about about the sleds here, and uh, how I'll get you to join in too. Um, So, uh, Paul, I think I I mentioned to you before, I was a a past uh, electric car um, owner, and uh, I'm seriously looking at uh, getting one of the new uh, uh, Hummers that uh, are coming out. Um, Are you you guys getting inspired by by the recent, um, I guess, interest from all the manufacturers, all the auto manufacturers uh, about electrifying their their lineups? I mean, it's it's basically coming right to your guys' uh, direction as far as uh, what you guys are doing.
2: Uh, you know, I wouldn't say inspired so much. I was kind of happy that the market is starting to finally shift in this direction. Uh, I think we, you know, when we started, we were definitely a couple of years ahead of our time in the sense that people weren't really thinking about off-road when we were, they were thinking about electric. Um, so I think it's really good that, you know, we've seen like Rivian and you know, Tesla and Hummer um, and you yeah, the, the – <laughs> Nicola, which is maybe not going so well, but they've all been looking at the off-road segments and uh, you know coming up with uh, truck offerings, which you know we think is going to do a lot of good for us in sort of bringing out this uh, like hidden hidden market. Because uh, I think you know some some of what was slowing us down originally was even just convincing you know investors and partners that off-road people want electric vehicles <laughs> you know that's been always something has been a little bit up to debate and i think just in this past year or two we've seen the the rest of the industry sort of come to terms with that um but you know this like when we had started off with the snowmobile we went straight to you know the ski hills and these fleet operators who we knew wanted to cut their operating costs and that to us was like the first kind of group of people we could see that Know, they really want to bring electric to their their off-road products yeah um, and I think you know as we've done that it's kind of like created a bit of a, a hubbub in the uh, especially in the snow world to where uh, you know we know from sources that the, the other manufacturers have been getting you know pressure from their dealers to to bring in uh, some kind of electric offering um, yeah in some cases so I would say to answer your question it's we're kind of more we're happy to see the, the markets kind of like shifting to come meet us in the middle. And, uh, you know, it's really good for us because our, you know, our sales projections kind of assume that the um, the entire off-road segment is going to start following the uh, the automotive segment for EV uh, adoption rates. Um, and if, if it follows the same trend, you know, we're, we're definitely looking at some strong uh,
0: sales potential in the next like five to 10 years. Yeah, you must like the fact that I mean, well, all these automotive offerings, um, and also I guess we can add Harley Davidson, uh, uh, you know, bikes and stuff like that. But uh, the, the chargers are also going to increase uh, the the infrastructure, uh, which I mean, if if you're if you're looking at the, all the misconceptions about electri- electrification of uh, automobiles and and now snowmobiles and off-road products, everybody asks about well, how do you charge them? And how do you charge them? Where do you charge them? All these, I mean, all, all these chargers. And if you if you own an electric vehicle, you know that there's lots of chargers out there. You just have to uh, know where to where to get where to find them on your on your route. But uh, it's got to help it's got to help you guys with uh, you know these offerings coming up, and uh, there's going to be more chargers coming out.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, charging is definitely one of these things we've been <laughs> keeping an eye on since the beginning because I think, as you say. There aren't any electric vehicles without <laughs> charge points. Uh, I think what's kind of nice about, especially if we're looking at what we're doing um, in electric off-road, like snowmobiles and watercraft, they're fairly small-sized battery packs, so you can actually just charge them off regular 240 uh, outlets, which most cabins anywhere have. So actually you know, getting the, the right equipment in is really not difficult. And in most cases, you can charge with what, comes with the sled, which is, you know, the onboard charger with a charging dongle. Um, if you wanna have a nicer charging setup, so, you know, uh, uh, that has uh, a wall box with, uh, you know, the the charging cable and everything, uh, that, that's why we started partnering up with ABB this year. Um, so ABB is gonna be uh, offering, you know, alongside our, our vehicles, uh, their um, standard, you know, domestic or like Light, light industrial. I'd say charging solutions. So it, you know, if you're just a homeowner, uh, you can get their their standard um, a wall mounted charger, uh, which can charge up to, to up to 11 kilowatts. So that gives you like a two hour charge time, and that just runs off you know your your household 240, and it's a pretty simple installation. I think in general we'd suggest uh, getting an electrician to wire that in for you, but I think a lot of DIYers could uh, definitely do it themselves. Um, but that really just gives you—it gives you like a more convenient charging solution with like the the nice, you know, the the J1772 uh, charging adapter. Um, it, it just kind of like makes it look nice. But honestly, you can even just use like the like the outlet for your dryer will work <laughs> if you have yeah. the right adapters, you know. So it's it's nothing crazy. If you want to get like better charging capability than that, then uh, there's the other cool thing that ABB is now offering, which is their uh, their the ACDC wall box solution. Um, which is kind of like that's why I call kind of maybe prosumer or light industrial (laughs) solution. Uh, So instead of going ahead and installing like, you know, the equivalent of a Tesla supercharger, which is like a several like dozens of thousands of dollar installation project, um, the the solution is which is really great. I think more for like small businesses or for people who can afford it. It's kind of like on the order of like $8,000 and it gives you like a 25 kilowatt um, charge rate, uh, which is better than what you can offer with the, uh, you know, just what we call like level two automotive charging solution. So it's kind of midway between like a level two and a a supercharger. Um, yeah. So 25 kilowatts will give you like a one hour charge time. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that would be, you know, available for our, um, uh, the snowmobiles are equipped with the uh, the fast charge option. So, I guess you know at the end of the day we're we're looking at many different types of solutions for charging that you can adapt to whatever your situation is, and I think this will make it a lot easier as well to sort of develop the the charging network yeah, um, but you know the the step between that and getting something functional is really it's not that bad you know if you think about if it if, if you think about fuel, fueling network, you know, it's a lot harder to implant a fuel station than it is to get, you know, 240 routed to a, a point. Um, and, you know, if, I know this is a snowmobile podcast, but if we talk about the watercraft, what's cool is a lot of docks uh, actually already have 240 wired up right up to the dock. So, yeah, you know, when we've been out doing demos with the, with the Orca, we've just been pulling straight up to the dock, pulling out our adapters, plugging into the, uh, the outlet's, they use to uh, to plug into the, their yachts, and uh, that's a perfectly viable charging solution right there.
0: Yeah, so, I think well, you, you know it's definitely something that's developing. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Will you have uh, like a, a portable charger that uh, um, snowmobilers can bring with them, and like uh, like a, like a uh, just a portable one that they, they can plug into, like a one ten? I let like uh like most yeah, hotels. Absolutely.
2: Because uh, our yeah. our vehicles are equipped with onboard chargers. So okay. you like I say, you really just need to have access to one twenty or two forty. Uh, one twenty gives you like that would be maybe more like an overnight charge. It's like six yeah. or seven hours. Um so you know, a bit more like limited uh in terms of the use case. Um yeah. so usually, you know, if you're looking for to be able to charge like once or twice in a day um then the, the 240 would be like the the better
0: option for you yeah um, well, but yeah the... like i said
2: you know we have onboard chargers so really really all you need is an adapter cable that'll adapt to the um the charging socket
0: yeah so so people can uh, pull up to like most hotels have uh outlets uh, you know to for people to plug in their their trucks so you can just uh yank somebody's uh uh cord for for their uh, <laughs> di- diesel truck and uh, plug in uh plug in their snowmobile overnight kind of thing so Okay, Hal, you got, a, you got a question for Paul? Yeah, just on
3: the, uh, Paul, uh, just looking at your uh, battery size on these, uh, you're advertising 27 kilowatt-hour battery life. Is that right?
2: Uh, yeah, I believe that's our long-range uh, option.
3: Okay, so what, what does the standard machine come with? And then maybe explain to the uh, listening audience... Uh, you know who aren't familiar with uh you know the unit's kilowatt hour exactly what that means and and maybe related to you know what's a uh, standard battery that's in your vehicle uh,
2: yeah well i mean a kilowatt hour is like a, a measure of uh energy like you know pure energy so the more kilowatt hours your battery has the more energy you can store so the more uh the more range you can uh, you can access. Um, so we offer our snowmobiles in uh, several um, different, um, I, I think it's two different uh, range options. So there's a you know, standard range and long range. Um, so the, the standard range comes with, um, I was just pulling out my spreadsheet here. <laughs> but yeah, the, the long range is 27 kilowatt hours. And then I think standard range is um, 20, 21 or 23. Um, don't, uh, sorry. Don't have the numbers in front of me right here, um, but essentially, you know what that means is it's a, it's a similar battery envelope. It's just that we add or remove the uh, you know battery modules that are in the pack. Um,
3: yeah, so I, I'm just looking at uh, you know with the with the battery uh, setup on the on the machine, the one that we drove uh, about a year ago, the TS2 version. Um, you had the battery location on the right hand side. Uh, of the machine, kind of probably in the traditional spot where on a two-stroke uh, uh, snowmobile where your uh, exhaust system would be and your, uh, your main uh, resonator canister type thing. Is, is the battery location still on the TS-3 still located in that uh, same area on the right-hand uh, side, or is it more centralized now? Um,
2: so after we built the TS-2 and tested it for uh, the better part of the year, uh, we kind of came back around and made some, uh, I, I'd say fundamental packaging changes. And that was really driven by, I think number one was really trying to get the, the CG uh, to move backwards. Because what we found was there's a lot of ski pressure and uh, it was kind of hard to steer and uh, wouldn't really uh, react well off, off jumps and stuff like that. So we, uh, we kind of swapped <laughs> where, where the motor, the battery were. Um, and at the same time, that kind of provides for a much uh, more compact and stiffer uh, sort of chassis subframe architecture. Um, so the way yeah. it's currently configured is, um, uh, is yeah, I think, it, as you pointed out, it's the motors um, sort of in the engine cradle where a typical combustion snowmobile would be. And then it's kind of it's direct drive to the, uh, uh, the sprocket shaft with, uh, you know, via belt drive. Um, and so that whole thing is kind of forms like a very tight and stiff uh, package um, sort of in the lower part of the vehicle. And then the battery sits uh, up above that. And that, that gives you a couple of advantages. So like I said, first of all, it allows us to shift the CG uh, a bit more backwards. Um, and then it, it kind of gives you, uh, I guess, for, for maintenance, you know, if ever the battery needs to be swapped, it's a much easier easier job at that point. Um it also gives us a bit more freedom in how we can, you know, extend or remove um, modules onto the pack. Um, right. because it's, You know, it's kind of, yeah. So basically it, it allows us to use the same pack to uh, to give users different uh, range options. So, you know, like I said, we, we can give a little extra quality of the pack towards the rear. And then um, depending on how much range you want, it's either you're you're adding or removing a couple uh, a couple battery modules in there. So some, you know the, right. maybe a reason you might want the, uh, the short range um, is to maybe drop a couple kilos if that's a concern for you because uh, obviously each <laughs> the more the more capacity you have the more weight you're adding on uh, that that's for sure it, it, it isn't that much but you know for some people it might make uh, a bit of a difference yeah. so, so um, one
0: of the questions that,
2: that
3: one, one of the questions that I hear when I'm talking to people about these, um, because you know your your uh, the electric sled does not does away with the CBT system, the, you know it, it does away with the uh, the clutching that's you know traditional uh, snowmobile. With the secondary clutch gone now, how does this machine with the electric drive and it's a direct drive to the to the front track drive? How does it respond to uh, torque loads? You know when I'm when I'm riding a traditional snowmobile the secondary clutch, it's a torque sensing. Secondary. So as I hit deep snow or whatever, the clutch is going to respond and it's going to open and close. Now with, with all that eliminated, how does the load, am I having to manipulate the throttle, modulate the throttle uh, more often now, you know, if I go from hard pack into deep snow to try and compensate uh, to uh, you know, for the torque load on, on the sled, um, how, how, how does that all work uh, as far as driving the machine goes?
2: Um, I think you definitely have to consider it's more like a direct drive type of driving experience. So, yeah, like definitely the, the amount of throttle you're giving it is what it's going to be giving you uh, for torque. Um, and what, I think what's nice about the electric system is we can do kind of what we want for the, uh, you know, the, the throttle ramping. So, you know, like you mentioned, like you don't really want to be varying the throttle too much because that, I mean, it's kind of tiresome. Um, so one of the options we have, and this is all like something that's tunable through the, uh, you know, the, the mobile application, um, it allows you to, to tune the, the torque profiles um, on, on the throttle. Um, so we can have either something that's you know very direct drive uh, kind of feeling. So for every you know degree of throttle you're putting in, you're getting a proportional amount of um, of, uh, of torque. At the track uh, the other option you can have is a very a much more like progressive uh throttle ramp um so you know in, in the low range of the throttle it's going to give you like not much modulation but then in the higher degrees it'll give you like a more a more definite modulation. so that that means that you know when you're riding on the trail you can be you know bouncing around and the throttle's gonna be moving around a little bit because you can't you know keep your hand perfectly steady and it won't like it won't it will give you like a jerky uh, riding experience. So I think that's definitely one of the the, the things we had learned. Uh, but what's cool about the electric drive is we can we can absolutely tune the throttle um, exactly how we want. Uh, that that goes. You know, the same goes for uh, the what we call the the throttle ramp. So you know, if you give it zero to 100 full throttle, is it going to give you zero to 100? full torque instantaneously or is it going to give you a bit of a leeway <laughs> you know for for that like same kind of reason um right. but i guess to answer your question it's yeah we're really talking about more of a direct um a direct drive sort of a sort of feeling
0: yeah um um paul um will will a consumer be able to tune this themselves like uh, some uh, uh, uh motor motocross bikes and uh stuff like that they have uh uh, tuning apps uh, that they can tune uh, for their ignition timing and stuff like that. Will you be able to do something like that with um, uh, with uh, with uh, your your snowmobile like to to tune in the the, thr- the throttle curve and mellow it out or shorten it up or, or anything yeah. like that?
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know the the options are kind of <laughs> they're pretty broad as far as what you can adjust uh on the software so you can set yourself up different you know a customized driving driver profile or even several profiles if you have you know if you're sharing the sled with maybe your kids or something like that um, so even you know things like limiting the the power limiting the speed um like i explained you know adjusting the the throttle ramps to make it easy, either easier to drive or maybe higher performance um so
0: the options are really quite quite broad uh, when you get into that the uh, the snowmobile that we tried, um, you had that actually on the uh, on the handlebar settings, uh, the modes and stuff like that. Um, will you still have like mm-hmm. three modes um, preset, and then the ability to uh, again uh, uh, tune it more um, off the off the snowmobile with like an app or anything like that?
2: Yeah, so that's the idea is you have kind of like a simple control off the handlebar controls. Um, and then, if you want to get more into depth, it yeah, it'd be through through the mobile app.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, the the battery technology it's it's going crazy in in automotive uh, um, circles right now. Um, you're you're still doing your own batteries, or, or are you going to be uh, contracting uh, um, a battery to to another supplier? And and you know you know they're getting tremendous gains out of, out of batteries right now. How's how are you guys uh, doing with your battery technology?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so we're working very closely with a, a battery supplier who's – they're actually just supplying us with the, um, the basic battery cells, which are kind of, you know, the core of the, uh, the, the cell technology. Uh, and, you know, that's really important for us because it, it lets us access sort of the, the latest, um, you know, release technologies. These guys, they, they supply uh, some pretty, <laughs> pretty large OEMs that I can't name. Um, yeah. You know, if we're talking about the automotive world and uh, we're actually one of the, we're one, I think we might be actually their only North American uh, customer who they supply cells directly to. So it's, it's really not, not an easy partnership to set up. Uh, sure. But, you know, that's great for us because then we, we've designed the battery, um, the battery module itself, which, you know, if I'm talking about the module, that's just kind of the basic unit, you take taking cells, you're stacking them together. Um, and we're putting a bit of uh, a thermal management system around that cell uh, with, you know, it's like a fluid that circulates uh, very close to the cell, so we can go and extract heat very efficiently from them, uh, which means we can push very high power rates out of our our modules. Uh, So, when people, you know, when people talk about battery performance, you're looking at a couple different metrics. Um, So, for sure, you're looking at the basic energy density of the, the battery, which is how much How many kilowatt hours can I stick into this pack for a given weight? Um, And that, you know, kilowatt hours equals energy equals more range. Um, And if you talk about power, which is, you know, just the ability to deliver, you know, speed and torque, um, that, you know, that's measured in kilowatts. And uh, that that's something that doesn't always come with the energy density. You can you can have battery technologies which have a high density. Uh, Energy-wise, but don't have very good power delivery, and that's usually because of thermal limitations. Uh, so, you know, if you, if your batteries are overheating too fast, then you can't really draw much power out of them continuously. Uh, and we know for you know for power sports, it's very important. Like you need to be able to be wide open, wide open throttle for uh, pretty long. You know, if you're if you're zooming across a lake, you're pretty much wide open throttle for a couple minutes at a time. Um, so it's we need to be able to cool the battery very efficiently, um, and sort of as a counterpoint to that, for the snowmobile application, we need to be able to heat up the battery and keep it at a, a sort of minimum operating temperature, and that's where the, the heating system comes in. So it it shares the same um, thermal management that's being used to, you know, you can either be cooling the battery modules or heating them up, and so it's the same sort of thermal management system we we use to
0: to achieve both of those goals. Yeah. So with the right. You know, if, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just, uh, you, you know, one of the biggest mis- misconceptions about uh, 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 electric vehicles is, you know, well, how will how it perform in, uh, in the, the cold weather, like minus 20s and minus 30s? And my, my answer was always, it'll work better um, than, than, than than your gas-operated vehicle because it's, I mean, it's, it's electric. It's, it's, it's instantaneous, you know, and if you had an electric car, I mean, it was always nice to go out there and push a button and, um, and away you go. Um, pl- uh, please tell the, the, the people you know about um, uh, you know the advantages of, of cold weather and how how batteries do uh, function in extreme cold weather.
2: Yep. So a lithium ion battery needs to be it, it doesn't operate very well when the when the battery cell itself is you know lower than like we'll talk about like ten degrees Celsius. So we try to we try to maintain the batteries in a pretty narrow temperature range. Um, and like I said, that's really done through our, our sort of heating system. Uh, and I, but I think that, you know, the big difference between, if you look at the snowmobile, let's say, and a, a car is that a car needs to be operating. You basically have your whole HVAC system, which draws a huge amount of power. Uh, so I think that's why people think of electric cars as having really bad range in the winter, which in some cases it's, it's true because you're trying to heat up, you know, just defrosting your windshield. Um, But with us, you know, you're really just heating up the battery itself. And uh, given the efficiency of our system, there's not much wasted heat at all in getting that done. So just to give you a scenario, um, like worst case scenario, (laughs) let's say you've left your snowmobile outside. uh, It's minus 35 degrees outside. It it hasn't been plugged in. So you're pretty much starting it off cold as it can be. Uh, When you start it up, it'll take about, uh, a 5% chunk of its energy off the top to, to preheat itself. And once it's up to temp, you're pretty much, you're ready to go and it won't really operate any different than it would if it was 30 degree outside, you know, yeah. um, it's really just getting those cells up to that temperature initially, that that's important. But, you know, even better than that is if, if you are kind of like storing it in the cold, if you have it plugged in continuously, um, it you know it'll run coolant or <laughs> heating fluid through itself um, you know just enough to keep it at, at that minimum temperature. So if if it's already plugged in, it's kind of like a block heater. It's just it's ready to go right away. Yeah. Um, no no preheat necessary. And I think yeah. like you said as well, <laughs> actually in cold temps, electrical components usually work better. They-
3: One of the, the things like so, uh, what what kind of what you know if I plug this thing if I'm up. Uh, you know, wherever snowmobiling, and I'm staying at a, a motel or something, and all i have got is the 120 volt power supply. What What's the uh, what's the current draw this thing takes uh, to charge? Like, um, you know, the 10 amp circuit, 15 amp circuit in my in the in the receptacle in the motel room gonna charge this, or am I gonna trip it out? Uh, off
2: 120. You might have to be, uh, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head. I think it would be actually 15 amps. Um, so yeah. in some cases you might want to ask. <laughs> so not a super great answer, but uh, it, yeah.
0: yeah. I think most hotels that, most hotels that uh, you, you know, they allow the transport trucks to plug in or, or something <laughs> like that, or, or um, you know, the diesel engine, engine warmers and stuff like that. That's usually... A 30 amp service i think anyway so but uh what else yeah, actually
2: I, I wasn't yeah. super well informed on the question so uh if um mm-hmm. i could maybe get back to you on that because i believe we're working yeah. on possibly a circuit that detects the current limitation but because um, yeah. there's definitely an adjustability and how much like you can tell the system to be pulling and you know to be capping the uh, the average so uh you know, if if you did, if, let's say if you know it's a it's a 10 m breaker, you can set the the charge system to um, to take that into consideration. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, so have,
3: by, yeah. Uh, yeah. My next uh, my ne- next question was, um, you know, um, looking at the uh, the new uh, power pack design, I'm going to call it. Um, the, uh, you, you guys, what, what you've done now, I think it's really smart. I really like the layout. Is uh, you've taken it on the TS2 version from uh, what looks like a traditional chain case, uh, you know, vertical arrangement, and you tip the whole thing down, uh, you know, uh, 90 degrees. And uh, you've got a lay down version now with the motor probably sitting pretty low down, so you got a nice low center of gravity. And, uh, and then you've got the gates, I think it's a Gates polychain chain drive going to the front track drive, all on the right-hand side. So it looks like a real nice compact uh, unit. And again, the motor is also uh, is also liquid cooled to um, to take away the heat. So maybe you want to just talk a little bit about the new, uh, you know, uh, permanent magnet motor and uh, and uh, and the packaging of it, which is a lot more uh, is a lot more finished and a lot more conducive to uh, to uh, better handling sled.
2: Yep. So the the IPM or <laughs> the internal permanent magnet motor, or IPM motor as we call it, uh, it it's very. Uh, we've been working on that in house uh, for the last um, six years approximately. Even I think before we we started the company, we started thinking about this this motor design because uh, it's you know really the heart of the the traction of our product. Um, and the, you know this motor design kind of similar to our battery module, but it's something we've designed to be modular and uh, applicable to different vehicle models. Uh, what you get with the IPM uh, motor design, and this is something you know, for example, Tesla uh, is using the IPM in uh, their Model Three right now. And what you get with this kind of motor, it's for one, it's very you know thermally efficient, um, but also gives you. Um, High levels of controllability and also just high torque density, uh, which means with a really lightweight package, you know, our entire motor plus inverter package weighs about 25 kilos, and can deliver you know 150 kilowatts uh, continuous power, which is actually a bit insane. (laughs) You know, most other uh, if you're looking at suppliers of industrial motors and stuff, a, a similar motor would weigh you know, upwards of a hundred kilos um, like easily. Um, so it's really a tailor-designed uh, drive unit that's really made for this snowmobile application, and that's really <laughs> what I would say about that. So when we design these motors, we we actually do get in into the you uh, know the magnetics. Uh, so it's really our own like motor laminations. We stack them together. We define like a, a winding specification. The whole thing is designed and simulated in house, and you know we've spent pretty much the last the last five years choosing it um, to to our to our satisfaction. Um, and yeah. yeah.
0: Um, Paul, um, let's see uh, uh, the the battery technology. Um, are, are you going to be able to expand it easily in the future, uh, as far as packaging uh, is concerned, like? Um, um the size size wise
2: uh you mean like do you if you can add like add yeah. on
0: modules or something yeah how much how much room um, are, do you need to to uh to add on and and you know in in the next say two years how much performance do you expect to get out of um uh, a, a battery pack in say two years, and and is it going to be easy to easy to um, adapt ad, adapt a new battery pack or anything?
2: Um, yeah, so I guess first of all, I would say our battery pack sizing is really what uh, you know the way we establish the, the basic size and weight of the battery pack is we look at you know what would be really a reasonable weight for the entire vehicle, and <laughs> that, that pretty yeah. much drives the. How many batteries we we really want to fit in there uh, and i think anything further than our long range offering you, you start adding on i think a bit more weight than is worth you know the extra cost and, and kilowatt hours yeah. um, so we kind of set out with that and at, at the moment it's not it's not modular in the sense that you could add on modules that <laughs> actually but it becomes quite complicated uh, if you look into it seriously um, mostly you know to do with you need to be managing, like, connectors. It's definitely not necessarily things you would want, like, a a user to uh, have access to. Um, What I think will probably end up happening, and that this, you know, obviously we can't look too much in the future, but for sure, you know, the the cell technology will be improving year to year. At the rate of about, you know, 10 uh, 10 to 15% improvement in energy density um, year to year, just from the basic advancement in the cell technology. Um, so what we could expect in the future is for you to be able to to probably just trade in your entire vehicle uh, to get access to to the new packs. And then we do work with um, you know if packs are just really really out of service, we do have uh, some innovative recycling partners we're talking to who can recycle the cells or actually just reusing the the packs for uh, more like grid storage applications um our cells actually have like a very long lifetime they can survive about 1500 uh charge cycles um and that's really a full cycle you know so if you if you discharge it 50 percent that counts as half a charge cycle um so considering that that gives you definitely like six plus years of continuous of heavy usage i would say that you know that's what we when we look at our heaviest users those those would be like the ski hills and they're Definitely looking at six plus years of abuse uh, of with about a, a three year uh, ROI on, you know, versus a combustion sled. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. I guess to answer your question, like no, the batteries aren't expandable for basically, <laughs> I could get really into the weeds on that, but it's pretty, there are pretty good reasons, you know, t- definitely speaking that, that you can't do that. Um, so I think, you know, the, the most likely thing we would see in the future is uh, swapping out entire packs or or just trading the vehicle for for one with you know better
0: a better cell technology yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah okay well we better start talking about the performance of uh, of the, of the sleds now uh, because uh, that, that's another uh, thing that people really want to know so I noticed re- uh, recently that you um, you took the uh, Tega to uh, a drag uh, asphalt drag uh, strip and you drag raced it against um, uh, a Tesla car. Tell us about that and uh, and um, you know the the process uh, behind that.
2: Yeah, that that was a fun little project. We kind of squeezed in late <laughs> late in the summer, uh, so we got. Um, I think the intent behind that was to get sort of a, a bit of a, a buzz going more in the the automotive community. Um, so I, I think everyone kind of sees Tesla as like the, those sort of. <laughs> most capable uh, OEM, you know, cars, if you're looking at acceleration. So our, our first target was just to, you know, to beat, beat a Tesla off the off the starting line. Um, I'd say maybe, unfortunately, we weren't able to get uh, as many runs as we would have liked to, and we never got it geared up to where we could actually uh, get a solid quarter mile. So we were just doing some eight-mile eight mile runs. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't really want to put my foot forward and and tell you any times just because I know we could do – a lot better than what we did right there. And, and really our, our purpose was to justify our, our acceleration time that we've been advertising, which uh, we, is, you know, we've confirmed to be through those accelerants to be zero to hundred and under three seconds, uh, well, which is a bit well, nuts. I that's think crazy. really the next yeah, step for us in there. Oh. Yeah,
0: Hello? I said that, that Yeah, that, that's, I said that, 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 that's uh, that's crazy. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you run it against a, 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 a Nashville snowmobile? Um, that, you know, there's that's, plenty of, that, that's quite a yeah. sport right now. Um, did you talk to anybody and, and try running it against the sled?
2: Uh, we haven't done that yet. That's, I think that's our next step for sure. Um, I think, like I said, we kind of, we focusing in on that, that sort of Tesla, uh, like little showcase video. Um, I think next step for drag racing is for sure going ahead, going head to head with, uh, you know, an, an OEM competitor. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I'd say up and coming. And uh, yeah, if, you, if you've got people who want to race us, uh, send them our way. <laughs> we want to set something up.
0: That sounds like a challenge. That's, that's good. That's cool. I, I mean, I've, I've been waiting for that uh, because I, my, I, I, I know for a fact that uh, um, a well-set-up electric sled is going gonna, gonna to spank a, 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 um, a, a regular production snowmobile. Yeah, yeah. Forget the pro mods and stuff like that. You know the turbocharged stuff, but um,
2: the, the a, reg- a reg- is there. I think on the CVT you can actually gear it for pretty high top speeds. Yeah. Um, since we're working on the on this, you know, direct drive uh, to get it geared to go, you know, 200 plus kilometers an hour, we'd need to be have a pretty <laughs> we need to have like a pretty big sprocket on the <laughs> yeah. on, on the rear of the belt case there. So uh, we're we're a little limited mechanically in what we can do there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're, we're kind of focused on the the eighth mile times uh, okay. for now. Yeah. Um, I think quarter mile is something that I'd really like to see happen, but like I said, requires a little more work um, for from our you know special projects guys.
0: Yeah. Are you working with uh, anybody anybody from the drag uh, circuits or something like that? I don't know. We talked. We talked uh, earlier. Uh, you messaged me, and I gave you a couple names. Uh, did you, were you able to work with any of uh, the snowmobile? Drag racers? Uh, we, all, all the testing we've done up to
2: now has been just kind of on our own side. Um, yeah. I think, like I said, next step is really getting uh, up against some snowmobiles, but also getting uh, into some more uh, capable hands who can get, get the tuning uh, required for that. Yeah. So, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Hal. Okay. Can you hear me?
3: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, Let's talk about the, uh, the categories, the uh, the marketing uh, part of the of the sled. Um, you're focusing on mount, and crossover, and touring utility. Um, maybe uh, for the listener out there, if you were, um, you know, first off, how did you end up deciding on which markets to go? Where do you see the biggest potential for your sled? Um, and then for the trail performance guy who's running a 129 track, they've been kind of left out of here a little bit. So
2: maybe, uh, you know, chat about uh, um, about that end of things. Um, yeah, so for sure, you know, the, the utility, the uh, variant, the Nomad, that uh, is kind of a no-brainer for us given the, the demand we have from the uh, the fleet operator side. Um, then we have the Echo, which is the mountain version, which uh, I think surprisingly we have, we do have a lot of demand coming in from, uh, from the West Coast um, from you know, mountain riders and uh, I think in Scandinavia also this, this model is quite quite popular. Uh, and I think, yeah, that we're definitely open, I think, to go to the uh, the shorter track styles. I think the main reason we haven't outright gone towards there is we know that these types of users have probably uh, more stringent range requirements. Uh, like you're gonna be looking at a lot of people who wanna be doing you know several hundred kilometer rides, which uh, is, We're getting there, but we, you know, we didn't want to go straight towards that market right off the bat. But it's for sure something we're looking at, and it's uh, it's up for uh, um, discussion. Um, So I think yeah, definitely, you know, the Atlas is supposed to go and uh, and reach some of that trail um, clientele, but it it also needs to satisfy you know people who are a bit more uh, you know who, who could be doing some. Deep snow stuff. So we figured the atlas was maybe a better bet to try and cash a, a bigger cross section of the uh, the eastern uh, market, uh, just to kind of blend in the, the trail users and the uh, people who kind of like to go a bit more in the deep snow. Um, so you know, we we don't we're definitely going towards the trail segment. Uh, I would say I just can't really say if it's something that would be available next year or not. Um, I can say the Atlas is a hell of a lot of fun to ride, <laughs> you know, even if the track's a little a little longer. Um, we we do have some like performance suspension options on the, uh, you know, the the performance um, version of that, um, so you can definitely get it running pretty nicely. Um, but you know, I wouldn't uh, say it's a hard bread pitch banger or anything like that.
3: Right, <laughs> the. Um... Yeah. I'm seeing on your uh, on the uh, you know from what I've been reading and and what we what we wrote and everything, is there is there any issues like as far as you know, uh, getting the power to the track with all that with all that torque and everything? I'm, I'm wondering how how the, the sled hooks up and and the the weight transfer and that on the on the rear suspension. I, I see that you've gone now to a more conventional uh, two shock. Uh, your skid frame, as opposed to the mono shock that we uh, that we rode. So maybe uh, uh, you know, chat a little bit about your suspension systems. Even the the front A arm system. Now you've gone from the uh, from uh, like a mono shock kind of front end uh, push rod, kind of almost like a Formula One car, to a more direct shock uh, action uh, front end, just to simplify it. So. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, about weight transfer and everything and setting up the machine to deliver all that power to the track instead of just spinning it.
2: Um, yeah, I think power delivery, number one, is kind of what I was talking about earlier, the, the throttle tuning. Uh, so by getting, you know, to help you with the hookup on launch, um, having a bit of more progressive throttle helps you a lot uh, modulate the uh, the slip. Um, we do also have some, uh, you know, sl- Slit monitors um, just in the system that can sort of um, identify, uh, you know, a, a spin-up condition um, and like you know do a bit of a, a traction control, like, like launch control kind of thing. Uh, but okay. you know, at the end of the day, a lot of it will be up to the user. But you know, given you, you do get a certain amount of feedback with the uh, you know the noise uh, the track makes and you know a bit of the vibration and that all that. Um, as far as suspension goes, uh, yeah. So on the TS2, we <laughs> we had, we went kind of like full innovation mode, and uh, you know we came up with these super lightweight um, sort of suspension concepts. So we had the, the monoshock uh, front and rear suspensions. in um, the front, that that was a pretty great concept. It kind of came up with a couple limitations, some of which were just I, I think lack of aftermarket um, replacement parts was a bit of an issue with the the fleet customers. Uh, so you know, if you hit a tree and you bang up your one of your corners, um, it's actually pretty nice to be able to go to some you know aftermarkets like you know Kimpax or whatever, and be able to swap some of your components, which is what the, the kind of direction we went in. So some of the suspension components are reverse compatible um, with some OEM alternatives, so that, that kind of alleviates the, the spare parts issue. Good. The um And I think it also Good. does give a, a more stable ride for the 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 Nomad and the Atlas, I think where the Monoshock has a lot of strengths is in the the off road uh, or you know the the sort of backcountry application because by getting the the coilovers out of the out of the snow uh, gives you a bit less snow drag. Um, it also makes it uh, very easy to sort of manipulate and tilt. You can you can set it up so it's got a very low uh, roll rate. Um, which means it becomes actually really fun to to ride in the snow. But then, you know, that, that kind of low roll rate is really not that fun if you're just trying to have a stable uh, trail ride or, you know, on the hill. So I think what we could see in the future, you know, for sure now everything's based off the TS3 platform with the Radex suspension, but um, we'd be looking at potentially having a dedicated mountain suspension setup in the future. But I'd say those are kind of concepts. We uh, <laughs> we came up with those. They're really cool because they kind of take advantage of the packaging uh, advantages of the electric powertrain, uh, but we kind of shelved those ideas until we can you know, get, get back to it and um, give a more solid offering. So I'd say that the rear suspension as well, we started off with the monoshock. And then um, the, the reason we bent, went um, towards a more conventional layout was uh, to have I would say better adjustability, um, especially I think for tra- trail performance is pretty important. I think to have um, the adjust the adjustability of the the rates on both of the uh, the control arms, um, and just you know be able to adjust the uh, the ski pressure uh, more more easily. I would say, because um, ultimately you know our objective isn't for people to get on these vehicles and feel like it's a, you know an alien vehicle. It's really, you know, we want it to feel comfortable. Like we want the transition to be easy and just offer like kind of a, a better riding experience on every level. Um, so yeah, these innovative ideas are really cool. And we're really glad we kind of went towards those and tried those out on, on the TS2. Um, but I would say, you know, we kind of went back to some more conventional layups. Uh, just so people who are coming new to the electric Stuff can at least be comfortable with you know the the snowmobile platform you know we we want really the the electric uh, powertrain to really be the <laughs> i would say the the focus point on these on these new types of vehicles
3: yeah right. um, and you you brought up a good point like if i'm uh if i'm uh, a longtime snowmobiler uh and um i get the opportunity to run of your sleds what's the what? You know, for the listener out there who hasn't had a chance to, to to ride one of these, what's the first thing they're going to really notice when they, other than you know the lack of noise, I mean it's just going to be sitting there and you push the throttle and away you go. What is what is the biggest uh, uh, takeaway that somebody has um, when they ride one of your sleds
2: for the first time? What is, well, it's the a, you, know, you're you said other oh, noise, but really the noise is the big thing <laughs> that that people comment on. Um, and you yeah, know it's just it's just sitting there. It's ready to go. You hit the throttle, and it's just like you know you can get it to crawl forward super slowly, or you hit the throttle, and it just gives you all the juice at once, and you just, <laughs> you shoot off <laughs> into the distance. So it's really fun, you know, when we're doing um, these demo rides, is you know where we get the people on the sled, and they go off, and you can't you pretty much can't hear them anymore when they're further than like you know they're they're 50 meters away, and they're already kind of like. Fading off into the distance, so it's. It, I think the noise is really the the coolest part, um, and then for sure uh, after that the, uh, yeah that that instant torque response and the level of control is is very nice. It doesn't give you. I, I think you know for hardcore snowmobilers, it's less of an issue. Where, like you know how to deal with the CVT. You you expect that it's going to be maybe a little jerky at low speed and you know how to control it. But for new riders, it's you know it's like. You, you, there's no training required pretty much to, to hop onto one of these. Um, I'd say for sure. Yeah. So the, the noise and the, uh, that instant torque response are the, uh, <laughs> the, the things people really comment about, but you know, really, I could say is anyone who's I, I have yet to see someone who's come off the sled without a smile on their face. Like it's, it's just that fun to ride
0: and uh, yeah. it's really that that's, Hey okay, Paul. Sure. Uh, well, okay, sure. the, yeah, uh, Paul. Um, let's 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 talk about. Uh, um, so most manufacturers they they update uh, either a completely new model or updated old models every year. Um, what's going to be TAGA's, um process? Are, are you going to come up with? The, I mean, you've had two versions now. Um, do you plan on coming up with a TS3 um, or a TS4 uh, this year? Um, what's what's kind of the production standard what, what you guys are gonna um, have come I, up? I mean,
2: yeah, I wouldn't say we're in, we're not under so much pressure, I think to really offer a gazillion different models and options and novelties. <laughs> we're really just focused on delivering these you know some solid TS3s. Um, I think like I mentioned, there's some cool ideas we have maybe for the echo that could you know justify a, a platform update, but we're, we're really just focused on the TS threes for now. I mean, yeah what I'd have to say about the sort of yearly model cycle is like where we don't really want to get trapped in the you know the the current you know state of where things are, which is or you know my my perspective on it is you know the OEMs are kind of competing um, through really like small incremental you know small improvements or gimmicks or you know, oh wow, a new paint color. <laughs> like I know that yeah. the users uh, they like that in in many cases, but I think you know if we're if we're really focused on delivering a quality product, I think that's something that'll come <clears throat> that'll come with time. Um, yeah. Our focus is really just getting some solid machines in people's hands. And uh, okay, so- I think what we'll I think like we mentioned, we've got probably a shorter track model coming up in uh, in a year or two, um, and that, I think that would be like a, maybe a major platform update. And other than that, this is generally across the board improving our product. Um, improving you know the the app experience. Uh, there's, there's a lot more like cool stuff you can do apart from this uh, the basic model variations from year year to year.
0: okay, so um let's let, let's talk about the production and availability. Uh, what are we looking at now for availability of uh, of the models? are you are you going to have the crossover first uh, uh, the mountain first or the utility first? Uh, when do you plan on start production and when can people um expect to get delivery of their uh, of their sled?
2: Um it's been pretty much a
0: first come, first serve basis according to
2: our, our pre-order um, pre-order list. Um so you know all three models are gonna be we're gonna be starting production um, sort of at the same time and you know in, in the order that the orders have been received. Uh, we have a bit of a, a focus as well on the utility sector because we've had a lot of uh, large fleet orders uh, that we're working on. Um, so we're mostly talking about um, deliveries, uh, you know, as soon as next, I'd say November, December uh, for more the uh, if we're looking at general public deliveries. Um, and after that, it's kind of just limited by our, our production rate <laughs> that we're we're ramping up to. Uh, you know, we're we're really looking at. Uh, scaling our, our factory up quite fast to the point where we can be producing uh, a couple thousand vehicles a year, uh, starting for next winter. So, our our target is absolutely to be fulfilling all our pre-orders uh, next winter. Um, and after that, um, you know, wait the wait list for our vehicles is a bit. I, I think it's a little uh, up to how things go this year. I, I would say, you know, how can we ramp up? Uh, fast enough? Can we maintain you know, good quality processes? I think, like I said, we're we're more concerned about delivering uh, solid vehicles and trying to, you know, we don't really want to cut corners to uh, gain a couple months delivery time. Um, so I don't really have anything to tell you for a you know, pre-order one now where our objective is definitely to be delivering one to you uh, for next season. Yeah. Um, but after that, you know, it'll kind of evolve as the the company evolves and um, how fast we can ramp up our factory. You know, we are. We do have a location in Montreal right now that we're setting up a production line in, but we're also looking to expand our capability by opening a, a second location.
0: Um, Good. Yeah. So Good. We're, we're yeah we're really focused
2: on on the growth part of it right now, and we're just <laughs> we
0: really just want to deliver quality vehicles. Yeah. So I guess you know by by your social media posts, a lot of people want to try one of these. Are you going to have some kind of demo tour or something that people can actually uh, uh, try one of these uh, or, or the different versions, uh, the, the utility or the, the, the Echo or something like that um, throughout Canada and, and the United States?
2: Um, yeah, that's certainly the focus of what we're doing um, this winter. So we've got a kind of a pilot run of vehicles um, being built as we speak and we're we're kind of opening it up for some demonstrations in, uh, in February and uh, March. So we're gonna have a bit of a traveling, one or two traveling teams uh, going from uh, pretty much like throughout our dealer network um, on, on the Eastern front and the Western front to try and get, you know, we just want to get as many butts on our seats as we can. <laughs> so, Good. you know, we're Good. sorry if we can't get necessarily everyone uh, to try their sled. Uh, but like I said, we're really we're really pushing for it because uh, it's really what I think convinces people about about
0: how great these uh, these machines are. Absolutely, yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, I look forward to trying it again too. So uh, I'm sure Hal does too. Um, okay, Hal, let's uh, let's wrap up the questions here. You asked uh, Paul more, and then uh, we can get to um, some of the other projects that uh, Paul is working on. Uh,
3: yeah, I guess just to, to kind of to, uh, to wrap up our, our conversation on the machines, I mean, you guys have been uh, together. I think it's maybe five, six years. And uh, what are the what are the lessons that you've learned? What's the biggest takeaway so far? If you could go back five years from now, you know, five years ago when you're starting out, what what do you know today that you didn't know back then? That uh, um, about the sport and about uh, you know the whole concept of electric snowmobile and its acceptance.
2: Oh, you know, for sure there's stuff we've learned along the way, just from a technical standpoint, you know, we've, we, we've gone, we hit some, we've gone down some dead ends in a couple areas and we, you know, things might've taken a bit longer to develop than we would like. I think that just comes with, you know, the, uh, uh, that just comes with the game. Um, personally I'm pretty proud of where we are considering where we started off, like, you know, five, five years ago, uh, we, we've come a really long way. Uh, I think as a, a lot of what we learned is this how to run a startup really it's because um, you know the, the way we got all this thing running is just through through investment it's just p- convincing people that this you know this is going to work and you know you should really you know invest in this company because we'll be we'll be turning a profit in in a couple of years and just you know the the learning curve of that is i'd say really what what defines the timeline you run on um so you know as far as snowmobiles. um I I can't say we would have done much differently from the beginning. Um, I think we did a pretty good job of incorporating just, you know, comments from, from the public and, you know, being kind of honest about what we know and what we don't know and bringing in experts where we need to. Um, I think that's really been just the most helpful thing because yeah, we have a lot of new ideas coming in, but there's also, you know, I talked a bit earlier about how the, uh, we feel like the industry is kind of, over focused on, on gimmicky improvements. And I think even something we hear over and over again is how like stuff that we consider as new on snowmobiles nowadays, it's ideas that were tried out like in the seventies and where <laughs> it's like, are we gonna keep on like trying the same thing over and over again or just kind of go towards a better product? So I think really pulling in um, advice from um, from industry veterans has been you know a great way for us to move forward. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I think uh, that the biggest conversation that Hal and I had when uh, when we left uh, riding the, uh, the the TS2 was uh, that the, the suspension that you had in that in that sled was it was very exotic, and and we both came away mm-hmm. with saying that was nice, but it was probably overkill for for that sled, and I and I'm I'm, I'm pleased that you went with a more conventional su- suspension system, but. You know that, that's the suspension that you had—it was beautiful. You know it was—it was like Formula One stuff. Um, but really happy that you went with the uh, more conventional um, suspension. And um, you mentioned uh, you, you're—you are—you're technically a startup. Um, you may be able to answer this, and you may not be. But um, any any thoughts of going public?
2: I cannot talk about
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought so, but I—we I, I, could probably expect. Maybe in in the future, so people should actually uh, keep an eye out well, for that. And for that I one. What I would
2: say is like they, you know, we've got eyes on us. Like, yeah, we can't hide from the fact that the the rest of the industry is now seriously looking at, at electric.
0: Yeah,
2: and I think you know, like I opened up uh, in this podcast, like we're we really feel like we brought a, a shift to the to the market to where now you know some some big competitors are looking at uh, putting up electric offerings. And uh, you know, as, as a smaller company, how we hold an advantage is being definitely a, a few years a few years ahead of the curve in terms of technology. Um, yeah. like we know that nothing that our competitors are yeah. going to put on the ground and are you know, on the ground on the snow or in the water, you know, nothing they're going to do in the next two years is even going to come close to level performance we're able to offer today.
0: Yeah. And that's how we
2: intend on, on maintaining, it, maintaining our
0: advantage um, going forward. Okay, so we can we can wrap this up, okay. uh, uh, um, uh, but let's uh, let's let's talk about um, kind of kind of a it may not have been a surprise, but you debuted uh, the Orca personal watercraft uh, this mm-hmm. year. Um, was was that a strategic? Where did did you think that you were going to expand that way, or is it just uh, another project? Uh, but it looked like it was quite popular.
2: Absolutely. Well, you know that's an idea we came up with about I'd say. When we started Taiga, we had definitely, if we took a moment to ask, you know, we know all this electric technology stuff, but are snowmobiles really the right way to go for as like a first sort of product? And we had looked at watercraft and off-road vehicles initially, and we had originally discounted watercraft as being just definitely too power hungry to, to have you know enough range. Uh, at some point, we we got a little breathing room enough that we could, you know, just. <laughs> Try it out for real. So you know, we did just a simple conversion originally with the powertrain from the TS2 just to try it out, and it it just it was so fun, and it could actually give you a couple hours runtime that we figured you know the watercraft actually became a a bit of a no-brainer application. Um, So that's when we came up with the Orca watercraft. So it's 100% you know our own design. Um, Same same idea as the snowmobile. It's really you know top-down design uh, at Taiga. And what's cool about having the watercraft in the lineup is that the watercraft and the snowmobile can both share the same powertrain elements, so the same battery modules, the same motor, all you know, all the firmware and stuff that's already been designed for the snowmobile. So that's really great for us because it's like a cheap way of just adding uh, more vehicles to our lineup and increasing sort of our, our volumes throughout the year. Um, so and then it's kind of like a, a one-two kind of strategy for us. In the summer, we're selling orcas and we're demonstrating orcas. In the winter, we're selling snowmobiles. Um, a bit, you know, in the same way as some of our competitors are. And I feel like that really, you know, that really lets us even out the sales curve throughout the year and make us like a bit less of a risky uh, <laughs> risky proposition. Sure. Um, so the yeah. Orca, yeah, it runs off the same, it's a similar battery pack size. It's uh, between uh, 22 and 27 kilowatt hours. It gives you about two and a half hours of like pretty aggressive runtime. And it's definitely, you know, when, when you're out riding, if you're just kind of like, goofing around for a day <laughs> you know you're often doing like 10 minutes writing then you kind of chill around for a couple minutes and you, you know you're you're two hours and a half of physical runtime that becomes like a full you know half day of of writing and having fun with your friends yeah um, so we we found the application works really great it's super fun to drive it's got pretty crazy acceleration and speed. <laughs> so it's uh, just another great product. I, I don't know if you guys saw, but the guys at uh, uh, Snowtrax uh, tried it out over the summer. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah just,
0: said, like, yeah, just recently. Blown, yeah,
2: yeah. Out, yeah. So, so yeah. blown out of the water, no pun intended. But <laughs> that, that was just a really great validation for us because uh, that, that's really our objective, is to get these hardcore power sports guys to... You know, ride it and come off with a smile on their face, and that's really the same objective we have with the snowmobiles.
0: Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, it, it makes total Great. sense too because it's it's quite easy. I mean, uh, you think about uh, shore shore power on on the docks of uh, of most um, you know high end boat users. Um, they they have the shore power right at the docks. so it's quite easy to to power these things up. And and yeah, it's a personal watercraft. Um, uh riding it, it is it, it's it's a lot shorter you, you go you go less distances more fun kind of uh more fun and less time is kind of your typical watercraft user <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah so okay hal uh, do you, you have any more questions before we wrap it up with paul uh
3: no just uh hope you guys have uh, you know uh you know there's, there's nothing stopping you guys uh you know the sky's the limit there's there's and like you said uh you know, we're definitely seeing Polaris. We're definitely seeing, uh, you know, BRP, uh, um, you know, making, uh, noise about, uh, electric, uh, snowmobiles. We see it with bikes, uh, you know, with Polaris, they've, they've been doing that for a while now. So, I mean, it, it's, it's in the, it's, it's coming and everybody knows it. And, uh, with you guys, like you said, you're, you've got definitely a, a head start on everybody and just wish you guys all the best. And, uh, and getting you know more of your product out on the snow, and uh, and uh, can't wait to ride it again. Uh, it was it was very surprising, and everybody I I talked to of course wanted to know about it, and uh, I think that that's the proof is just getting more more of these demo rides, which is going to be kind of challenging this winter with you know everything we're going through with COVID. But uh, I think as soon as people get on these things, they are going to uh, the demand is going to be there. There's no question about it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Paul, one more thing, Um, uh, personal watercraft, but have you got any more irons in the fire? Uh, Are you looking at any other uh, kind of uh, sports, uh, sports? (laughs) motorsports? We we don't have anything officially
2: announced for real, but I think you can definitely um, expect to see something coming from us. Um, Let's say we're doing snow, water, and then
0: the okay. ground is yep. a thing okay. as well yeah so. <laughs> yeah yep. makes sense makes sense yeah got we an will. eye on that yeah you got you got to put your your irons in the fire there too uh but you know so that, that's another uh, another big segment so um okay paul uh really appreciate uh, you talking with us and um i'm i'm looking forward to uh to uh trying uh the the uh, the ts3 and uh and uh, you know models after that and uh i wish you luck i'm i'm uh, I'm an electric guy myself, so uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to uh, you know ha- having more uh, more experience on, uh, on an electric snowmobile. So I wish you luck, and I hope you uh, come out uh, this way, and uh, and we will uh, we'll go for another ride.
2: Yeah, thanks for having
0: me on the show. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Thanks a lot, Paul. You too. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot, Hal. Okay. Yeah. Take care.